He's wearing a Roddy Collins jacket. He's got his teeth done like Ross from Friends. He is looking, <laughs> ma- he's, he, he, he's looking magnificent and he's ready to go. Just for the pod, lads. Just for the pod. Download the OTB Sports app and subscribe to the GAA podcast feed now. And you're very welcome along to the Snap, your American football show here on Off The Ball. Roland Mullen with you as ever this Thursday back after a one-week hiatus. Jagger Roy, thanks a million for holding down the fort with Keen Fahey last week. We are brought to you in association with the Aer Lingus College Football Classic. Tickets are available now for Northwestern versus Nebraska at the Aviva Stadium on August 27, 2022. Get updates on all things American football by signing up to our newsletter. That's at otbsports.com forward slash club gridiron. I mentioned him already. Welcome in, Keen Faye. Keen, how are things? Thank God Gilroy is gone. He just wanted to talk about the 49ers all week. What was what were the spark notes from last week? What did you get into? Was it a was it a 49ers love fest? Ah uh, God, who knows? It was one of those uh, half an hours where it just feels like you've taken drugs and everything's going too fast for you to keep up so you don't remember anything from it. Now we look back at Lamar Jackson's horrible performance last week and we'll do something different this week and look back at Lamar Jackson's horrible performance from last weekend. Keen, I thought you were with me on this. I thought we were part of the Lamar Jackson fan club as one, but you've, uh, you've thrown him under the bus of late, and we will get into that. Hey, he's dived under the bus. Listen, for, for once, we're going to actually start with Thursday Night Football because, um, needless to say, it will date quite quickly, but it is quite an interesting game on paper, given we will touch on the Ravens, as you mentioned, and the other side of the coin of the Detroit Lions. But the two teams playing tonight were the, the teams they played last weekend and the Steelers-Vikings. And this is interesting because these are two teams on the bubble, as it were, with these extended playoff places from last season into this one where seven teams from each conference get in. These teams are, are currently just outside that. So as a, this is like a loser leaves town type dynamic where like the Steelers, that was a must win for them against the Ravens last week and the Vikings had that sort of another heartbreaking loss to Detroit. So I was just wondering what your feelings are on these two teams as we approach Thursday Night Football. Well, they're difficult teams to be supporters of because both of them have high expectations based on the overall talent of the roster, but both of them have quarterbacks who handicap them a lot. And Kirk Cousins has had... Well, Kirk Cousins has spent most of his career having frustrating weeks, but the last two weeks have been particularly frustrating for him. He thought he'd run the game-winning touchdown against the Lions last week to Justin Jefferson at the end after a generally poor game overall. And then the prior week, he completely missed Jefferson a bunch of times against the San Francisco 49ers on big plays and could have been touchdowns which kind of led to them in that game too. So the, it, it, it's, it's kind of hard to sell the Vikings as a good team or be excited about the Vikings because they're missing Dalvin Cook, or at least he's going to be playing hard if he does play. Adam Thielen, I believe, is out as well this week because of his uh, COVID close contact or whatever it was. And then you look at the, the overall level of talents, it's just not where it was a couple of years ago. I think Mike Zimmer's probably safe, but overall they're just a team that's kind of meandering through the year. <clears throat> Sorry, not doing anything particularly impressive, not being bad enough to get like a top pick. So they're at that kind of, like you said, that place where they're trying to just make the playoffs and just have one big game at the end of the year. On the other hand, the Steelers have TJ Watt, who's been phenomenal. They have Minka Fitzpatrick on defense, who's consistently excellent. They have an overall defense there that's really, really good. That They've been effective even without Joe Hayden. And it's offense where the problem is. And it's Ben Roethlisberger where the problem is. And it's, it, that's a similar theme where he's not throwing the ball the way they think he, he should be. Even if you go back to last week's game against the Ravens, and we can focus on the Ravens when we do, 
But if you go back through the offensive performance there, Deontay Johnson had a huge drop for on one of Rottlesburg's few great throws. Then he made a great play at the end of the game as well. But it's that kind of inconsistency that's in that wide receiver core. And then it's that inconsistency that comes from the quarterback as well, where he's hitting these shorter throws that aren't good decisions at the time, and he's not doing that even well. Like, Tom Brady built a career in short throws. Ben Rossberger is trying to do that now, but he just never had that level of talent or that level of ability to work that way. He was always built on big plays. And he's, he's now talking about retiring at the end of the year. As a Ravens fan, you'll be delighted to see him go because his career has been generally good. But as a Ravens fan in this 2021-2022, you'd probably rather he stayed because he's really handicapping them. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the Gardner Minshew era in Pittsburgh because that's what's going to happen next year. Oh, I have them down as uh, Daniel Jones. That's who my pick is. Oh, that's interesting. But speaking oh, of- sorry, Jimmy Garoppolo as well because he's going to be on the trade block. Oh, you reckon? Like this is a, Speaking of Gardner Minshew and in this whole dynamic of teams on the bubble, so 49ers are currently the seventh seed and the other wildcard team is Washington, who we'll get to later on. But So the Eagles are, are right there and the Colts are right there as well. So there are this extended season in terms of the extra game and also the extended playoff berth means there's probably more teams in contention, quote-unquote, than there typically would be in a normal NFL season. Like mathematically, the only team that's out of it are the Houston Texans, which seems quite absurd when we could have written off a lot of these teams a few weeks ago. This is what Roger Goodell was envisioning. He wanted Gardner Minshew in the playoffs. He wanted Gar- Gardner Minshew against Daniel or Daniel Jones or Carson Wentz, whoever it is, that highlight matchup that you, that you can get in wildcard weekend. Right, I think I have to take my Ravens medicine. It's time for the pick six. Oh, you're trying to push that off? <laughs> Yeah, difficult, difficult Sunday for me, Keen. I helped with incredulity with the succession episode with um, sort of exasperated cries on my own in the living room. And then that was shortly before I had to watch that two-point conversion attempt from, uh, from Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews. So a difficult, difficult Sunday altogether. But I have to say, like, if you want to get my top line thoughts on it, the decision to go for two was, was fair enough given the Ravens have no corners left and Marlon Humphrey is now out for the season so I think the Ravens are a whatever about that moment in isolation was interesting but I think like you can kind of justify Harbaugh's decision I, I think more in terms of the minutia of it you might be able to break down what exactly went wrong on that play because it, it did look like a missed throw from Jackson but also Mark Andrews might have slightly given up on his route a little bit he stopped running at one point but I'd just be interested in your technical breakdown of the whole thing. Uh, yeah, um, I, it's kind of mad that the Ravens are just this very slow death of losing a star player every three weeks. It's incredible that Humphrey is gone now as well. Like you said, I, I agree with the, the, the going for it. I think I think going for two at that point is as much as much going to your offense and saying going to your leadership group and saying we believe in you. And even if we don't do this, this is the right decision because we're saying you can get two yards to win us the game. And if we just kick the field or if we just kick the extra point or the field goal, whatever it was. You're saying to the offense that we don't think you can get those two yards, and like it's it's if it's a decision between uh, just tying and losing, fair enough. But it's you win, it ends. You don't have to think about overtime. So I'm I'm actually really in favor of going for it in that situation, especially when you have a quarterback like that. But the problem is the quarterback is the reason the play didn't actually work out. So TJ Watt comes off the edge, flies off the edge, and he's unblocked. And he's unblocked by design because you're throwing past him. But he comes off so quickly that Lamar is spooked a little bit. And Lamar loses his uh, foot, footwork discipline and 
loses his balance as he's throwing the ball. And that's why the ball comes out a little bit weird. And he has to throw around or over what, I guess is the best way to say it. Mark Andrews runs underneath the offensive line and that prevents a, an, uh, a defensive back from tagging onto his body and, and stopping him or disrupting the timing of the play. When Andrews looks back, he's expecting the ball to be there. It's not there, so that's, that's slowing down a little bit of a second because of the delay with Watt. So now the ball comes out and Jackson thinks uh, Andrews is going to be a little bit further, further on than he is and then it, it flutters past him. It's one of those plays that it happens. It's the evidence of why you don't put the whole game on this one play to gain two yards. But realistically, they make that play nine times out of ten. They just got so unlucky that it didn't make it in this specific moment. And it's TJ Watt coming off the edge being massive and being very quick and being an, a great athlete. And you've got to give him his credit. Like he He's not better than what JJ Watt was. But considering like the level of hype and what he had to follow, there was all expectations that he would just be an average NFL player. And right now, he's arguably the best defensive player in the league. I, I don't know if he is that, but like, you can make that argument. Overall, though, in that game... I know you said you watched Succession for quite a bit, but it must have been very frustrating as a Ravens fan watching it because like, their best passing play to me went to Latavius Murray in the slot when he ran a crossing road and I caught the ball and ran upfield. And I was like, he's the most explosive player they have in the offense. That's not the way a playoff team is supposed to be built. Yeah, there was um, like the Joe Flacco offense of your whereby just like long grenades down the field and try and get pass interference. I think a few other quarterbacks have inherited that prototype of, of offense. But like you rarely see Jackson throwing outside the numbers. And, and one of the throws he did have was to Mark Andrews. And it was just batted away by Fitzpatrick, I think. But that was the kind of like Jackson actually does have that in his locker, as he's evidenced in other games this season. So he's not afraid to to make those throws increasingly but as you said they, they were kind of few and far between and we've discussed Marquis Brown's catch radius and, and Watkins had a few shaky moments despite catching that clutch touchdown which in theory put them in position to win the game like if, if all was even and the Ravens had a healthy roster here I wouldn't be concerned but it's at the point now and I speak glowingly of the culture and next man up mentality but you can't lose all your running backs and all your cornerbacks like you know there's no there's no coming back from that like in an ideal world we'd have Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, we'd have you know Everett there as backup, Jimmy Smith coming in and out. Now we're going to be leaning on these guys like picking others off the street and the running backs like to put together any sort of functioning running back core has been somewhat impressive. I think the Ravens given how difficult their running is here. They might just sneak into the playoffs, but that'll be the height of it, I think. Any prospect of them doing something miraculous is is all but, all but gone, I'm afraid. It's 100% on Lamar. Like, and the other thing I've kind of noticed is teams are forcing him to throw a little bit more. And it's not that he can't make the throws. It's that the passing game is basically broken, like you were talking about. And they can't overwhelm running the ball like they did before when they had Gus Edwards, when they had even Mark Ingram, and when they had uh, uh, J.K. Dobbins. The... I, I thought that Sammy Watkins touchdown was really, really good. A really good play for, from quarterback and wide receiver. And it's something that I wish we would see more because Watkins works the middle of the field so incredibly well and he's so smart. And on that play, he, he, he's working underneath, coming from outside in, and he sees the coverage come down hard. So he breaks up and goes down the seam. And Lamar moves the defender with his eyes and then hits him in stride. And it's a beautiful, beautiful play and a beautiful uh, throw. And you're kind of thinking to yourself, you guys can do this so much more. Put an emphasis on that. And stop trying to hit Marquise Brown down the sideline, or, or not down the sideline necessarily, but outside the numbers and deeper over the middle, because he's just not—he's not doing that consistently well enough. And you mentioned the outside the numbers plays. Miles Boykin was supposed to be that guy. 
Uh, and I know they, they drafted Bateman as well, and he's kind of in between. I don't really know exactly what his role is going to be. But Miles Boykin, they needed him to develop. Miles Boykin came out with great size, a good ability to adjust to the ball in the air, some athleticism, and the potential to develop as a route runner. And he's just never really developed into anything. And I think that's really, really hurt them because when they went and got Watkins, he was the possession guy. That's exactly what you wanted. Marquise Brown has that little bit of explosiveness, plays outside, and you needed that one-third guy to be the go-to option. And you were never going to get a Jamar Chase or anything like that. So it's roster of construction, I guess, a failure of roster construction, or it's uh, hope that certain players would develop in, in ways that they never did so the Ravens are like you said probably just going to be a playoff team but I, th- I do think having John Harbaugh or, or having John Harbaugh and having Lamar together will win you a lot of regular season games it'll just be exposed when you come up against the better teams yeah that's it it's all it's a, it's a nutritional battle especially with this extra game like the season feels particularly long even though it is only that one extra week so I think the Ravens can't really complain about losing a close game given the amount of ones they've they've eked out earlier in the season. So it's just gonna it's just gonna shake out to the mean eventually. And they play the Browns upcoming, so it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back in a divisional game. Because what you can say is the Bengals also lost last weekend, so that division's still very much up for grabs. So one to keep an eye on. The AFC North always interesting in the running. We should move on to number two and the team who took advantage of that slip up by the Ravens, and that is the New England Patriots. Like, what can you say about this? We had Tara Sullivan on off the ball last night and just speaking about how this was Belichick 101, very much a coach's victory in awful conditions, which raises the point, Kane, which you don't, you don't have to give your opinion, but I just cannot understand, like, what would it possibly take for an NFL game to be called off? Because those were borderline unplayable conditions as the, as the thing approached, but the show must go on, you know? COVID, <laughs> that's pretty much it. We had games called off last year. I don't think there's any weather. Like, you have those famous games with the, the Raiders and the Patriots and heaps of snow. Buffalo is famous for having snow, even though there was no snow at this game Monday night, but the wind and, like, the, there was a video beforehand of, I think it was Olszewski, who was kicking the ball straight up mm. in the air, and it was, like, blowing 100 metres behind him or whatever it was. You've got to be impressed with um, Josh Allen making being able to make actual throws in that wind. Like, it shows you, like, I think arm strength is massively overrated in general, but the guys who have those rocket arms can literally still throw the ball in storms. It's insane to watch, and obviously it didn't help them, but it did at least allow the Bills to try things that the Patriots didn't even bother trying. I remember before this game, I kind of, I saw the conditions. I was finishing up at 11 o'clock, and I was going to bed, and I was I'd pick up the score in the morning. But I said before in the game, this is just going to be randomness for four quarters. Nothing is going to actually be anything we take from this game moving forward. But Belichick went into it, and decided to take all the randomness out of it. And he did that incredibly intelligently. And funnily enough, he wore a, a Navy face mask beforehand. And if you're unfamiliar with the uh, college game teams, they generally just run the ball. They don't look to pass the ball. So it's as if he was hinting to what he was going to do in his game plan. Uh, Mac Jones threw a screen. Uh, he threw a check down, I believe. And he tried to throw another screen. Or no, sorry, he threw a play action pass to, to John Smith over the, over the middle. He literally did nothing throughout the game. He might have made some audibles to change into different running plays. But I do think this game really highlighted the, uh, the way in which the Patriots draft running backs. Because it wasn't just Harris. Harris broke off the big play at the start of the game. The other backs they had, even Brandon Bolden, who feels like he's been there for 20 years, they have guys who can run all different play designs. 
So if you want to run a counter play in your misdirection, moving the defense left and you go right, if you want to use a trap play where they have to be a little bit patient before accelerating, if you want to toss the ball outside, they'll show the patience to wait for their blockers to get outside. If you want to just run between the tackles over and over again, they can all do this. So they never have the superstar back. They never have the Saquon Barkley with the exceptional athleticism. But they have running backs who are all very intelligent and very smart in how they run plays. And that's critical for how they beat the Bills because if you're only going to run the ball, they'll just stack up against the run. So you have to be able to run in 10 different ways. And you saw when they got to like third and five and third and six, they were tossing the ball outside because the Bills were crashing inside expecting to run. And it, it was just, it's a coaching masterclass, but that's what you expect from Belichick. And anyone who was watching last season and going, oh, he was always played by Brady. I mean, we're seven, seven wins in a row, but even without those seven wins in a row, it was a crazy take anyway, because you can always do stuff like this. Yeah, and you think back to those close games where we were we had the we had the Patriots in a different frame of mind when they played the Bucks, for example, and that was a, a one score game where they missed a the kick to win it. That could be another W for them. The Cowboys as well, you know, again the Cowboys were on the ascent at that point and we thought the Patriots might sneak into the playoffs and again that's one that got away from them. So, so you know, these are the they're they're certainly a coming force and we'll get to the Bills later in the segment, but from the Patriots' point of view, I think he summed it up very well in terms of taking the randomness out of it, and that's that's just Belichick in a nutshell. It's what he's done his whole career. The only query people would have had was how Mac Jones would cope in those conditions, and he, he made it a non-factor. Roster construction, to your point, like it's not as if he's like scrimped and saved as well. Like he's they splashed the cash in the off-season, like like a record record outlay for the Patriots and for any team really in terms of who they brought in but it's kind of the other things that the little elements where Nikhil Harry as a wide receiver isn't like overly involved in the catching side of things when his quarterback's not throwing the ball but he's setting the edge really well like there's just incredible buy-in from the Patriots and the Patriot way is probably something that turn, like turns people's stomach who aren't Patriots fans but there's definitely some truth in it because they're all buying into this project. There's also amazing uh, video of the Bills press conference after the game. Did you see this with the yeah. with the two with the two safety Bills safeties? And it's just like the frustration there because they. So basically, a journalist says, "Are you embarrassed that you lost this game on defense?" And the defense is like, "We gave up 14 points. We gave up one big play." And they kind of turn around and say, "It was the offense's fault." But that's essentially what they were saying. And it's just an amazing uh, thing to watch two players who are just like so sick of it and so not going to deal with it. And that that's. That must be what it feels like to go against Belichick when he's on this kind of form for four quarters. And we should also mention Josh McDaniels, who we always laugh at as getting head coach suggestions. He was a big part of that because he does the offensive game plans and he does the offensive play calling. So there's a reason Belichick keeps him around and brings him back all the time whenever he loses a job elsewhere. Yeah, and on the Bills, we should get on to number three here in the pick six and just the, the general state of play in Buffalo because preseason, and it's something we've mentioned in the past, that these were like pegged for heady heights that the, the Bills haven't got to the AFC Championship was certainly in the conversation to do something similar and maybe go one step further but they've flattered to deceive any time they've, they've had a good moment they've regressed like they had that signature win against the Chiefs and it felt like they got a monkey off their back but now they've, they've kind of handed the initiative back to the Patriots having finally taken it from them last season so I'd like to get your assessment of where they're at and also who are the other possible contenders beyond the Bills to upset the, the Patriots in the AFC now because the Chiefs are coming for us, we can say at this point, but with the Ravens falling away, anyone else catching your eye in that regard? 
Well, the Bills are going to play the Patriots again in two weeks, so that'll give us a better measure because really, like, as much as Monday night was great, a great spectacle, and it was great from Belichick, it really, you can't take much from it from the Bills' side because they couldn't run their offense. They couldn't run the offense they expect to run. And maybe that's an aspect of being in Buffalo and just having to deal with those conditions all the time. But they don't have a running game. Like, they have Josh Allen they can incorporate into the running game. They have uh, Devin Singletary still there. They have... Uh, I think Matt Rita was playing on, on Monday night. Like they have guys who are capable, who aren't great, but the offensive line has built the pass block as well. So once those stormy conditions and wind were there, it was never going to be a great time for Buffalo. Like if they, they could have still won the game, they could have snuck it out, but they were never going to put up the 30 and 40 points that they expect to put up with that offense. On the season as a whole, that Jaguars game really looms large. Like They've had other bad performances, but that Jaguars game is the one that terrifies you just because of how poorly they were and how easy the Jaguars figured them out. I think long-term, I would all even in good conditions, I would always expect Belichick to get the better of Josh Allen, except when they've got a depleted a defense like they had last year where there was just nothing the Patriots could do. So it comes down to if Allen gets hot and then Diggs is, is hot and then you have Emmanuel Sanders who's been been to multiple Super Bowls already and you have uh, Dawson Knox there who's a really difficult tight end to cover and you have Gabriel Davis who's uh, with Cole Beasley as well, obviously. They have a lot of weapons, they have a lot of ability, but I just don't see the consistency and I don't see that level of talent being that high where I do see it, and it was coming out of that Bengals-Chargers uh, game this week, which I thought was a massive game, because there were two teams who had both shown really hot, real highs and then hit real lows. And this at right, this is right around the time of the year where one big win can give you momentum into the rest of the season and kickstart your, your playoff push, I guess is the way to put it. And the Chargers just came out and played outstandingly well. Like You can say the Jamar Chase drop interception, that was a huge turning point early in the game. But Justin Herbert played at the level we saw him play at early in the year. Mike Williams was phenomenal, making two huge plays against defensive backs down the field. Keenan Allen caught two touchdowns. The first one between three defenders was a really good throw and a really good play overall by everyone involved. And then you had Jalen Guyton make a couple of huge plays as well. And that's the thing for me. They have so much talent. They have so much ability. Like, Austin Austin Eckler fumbled the ball twice in that game. If he doesn't fumble, they probably blow the Bengals out. And if you reach that height and you sustain it for a month, you can easily win a Super Bowl with that team. I just don't think I can say that about anyone else in the AFC right now. The only ones that come close are the Chiefs, obviously, but that's fully buying in on Mahomes because, geez, the Chiefs, like, last week again, they won the game against the Broncos, but it's the same thing. It's mistake, 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 unforced error, unforced error, unforced error. Byron Pringle there had two drops and ran the wrong route for a key third down, and he's playing a huge role now because Nicole Hardman wasn't able to replace Sammy Watkins. And uh, Tyree Kill isn't proving to be a possession receiver like he has in the past. So there's so much going on with all these other teams that the Chargers stand out as the one that has the best combination of quarterback, overall talent, and coaching. And even then, it's a bit of a stretch because it still feels like the Patriots are always ahead of them. And they've already beaten them too this year. So that might be a sign of things to come. I know you've steered our colleague and the call into uh, Chargers fandom, so you're getting getting him very excited here, I'm sure. But I do recall when the Ravens destroyed the Chargers a few weeks ago, saying, well, the Chargers are still maybe the best team in the NFL when all things are equal. And if they can, as you said, get things together come January time, they're, I think they're certainly a team you'd want to be avoiding for the for the talent reasons you're alluding to. But just we, sh- we, should, uh, we should mention, by the way, the, the circle has been completed with the Lions winning. Every team in the NFL has beaten a team that's beaten another team. What, what's it called again? The transitive property? So if you've beaten a team already this year, it probably doesn't mean anything for later in the year. This is it. Just before we leave number three here, the Bills obviously played the Bucks this weekend in the half-nine sky game. And 
I was speaking about Belichick in the building, his dynamic over the last two decades or so. Another man who's got real estate living rent-free in the Bills head for since all this century, basically, is Tom Brady. So where, where's this game at, in your opinion? Where's it going to be won and lost? And will the Bills bounce back? I mean, if it's played out on paper and it's played to the level of talent, the Bills are not as good as the Buccaneers. Like, the Buccaneers have shown they've got the pass rush, they've got a load of weapons. If Brady has played well over, over this year, Gronk is back fully healthy now. Chris Godwin's coming off a 15-catch game last week where he was incredibly good and he was uncoverable, essentially, and Brady got the most out of him. It was like back in the day when he had an Edelman or a Welker and he just zoned in on him and went to him every single time. Brady threw the ball 50 times last week and looked pretty good. It was probably one of his best games over the last couple of years. So if the Bucs play to even a, 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 their typical level, you would expect them to score 30, 35 points. Whereas the Bills are going to need Josh Allen to have a really good game because they're going to get pressure on him and they're going to stop the run and they're going to make them a one-dimensional team. So it comes down to uh, will he have time and or will he be able to create his own time to find Stefan Diggs against that secondary, because the secondary isn't that good in Tampa Bay. It's good enough to complement the front seven, but it's not going to match up to those receivers and, and contain them. I think it could be a really exciting game, and ultimately it'll probably be uh, turnovers and mistakes from Josh Allen, that he'll he'll make mistakes that Brady doesn't make, and that'll be the difference between the game. Uh, it could very easily be like 34-27 or something like that, back and forth all day. And on to number four in the pick six, Lion Kings and... We should give them some shine here, Keen, because often the team that's bringing up the rear in the NFL, you know, they're they're kind of tanking a little bit and not really putting it all in in, in games and visibly so. Whereas what you can say about the Detroit Lions this season, they've they've hung around in a lot of these games. Like not to bring the Ravens up each time, but the the Lions should have beaten them that day. And there's been a few examples of that where Dan Campbell, where we might call into question is uh, the detail of his game plans and this kind of stuff. He he has those players playing for them. And Jared Goff, who's had a miserable time in the league really since that Super Bowl, you know, he's finally got a win under his belt here. And I just curious, do you think there's are there signs that there's something building here beyond the superficial level that I'm alluding to there, that they may like they've got good spirit in this kind of thing? But is there any suggestion that, you know, there's something building in Detroit? No. <laughs> Unfortunately, no. There's no suggestion that there's anything building, but they're avoiding going winless, which is a great thing because this franchise in particular has already done that before. And if you go to the first 17-game season and you go winless as the franchise that everyone knows is being winless, after hiring a, a head coach that nobody wanted you to hire, nobody thought was a good hire, getting this win was monumental for them. The, actually, the beauty of Red Zone and the beauty of getting access to every game, the last two minutes of this game was insane. Yeah. Like The, the Lions had uh, was it a two-point lead. They got to third and two on their own 29, and they got stopped on, at the line of scrimmage. So now they're at fourth and two, you're thinking, okay, there's one minute and four. Sorry, there's four minutes left. You're going to punt the ball away, and that's that's what you do. That's what every team does. It's not like the Ravens leaders. But obviously, Dan Campbell's lost every game, so he's like, no, we're going for on fourth down in our own, on our own 29. And you're thinking, yes, this is great. They're going to get this, and they're going to win the game. And then they don't get it. They get stopped. <laughs> you're like, this is the biggest uh, calamity you could do. Like, you're just making a fool of yourself. You're showing why everyone knows you're a bad team and why everyone's laughing at you. So Cousins throws that touchdown to Justin Jefferson. There's a minute 40 left. You've got Jared Goff, who historically can't play as a dropback quarterback. When, a, when every, the defense knows he's going to pass, they're able to shut him down. He actually moves the offense downfield, does it quite well, does it with great timing. The Vikings are sitting off a little bit too much, but they eventually get their chance. 
Rashad Breeland is underneath a, a deep ball towards Josh Reynolds and he's got the interception in his hands and just lets it bounce off his fingers and he can't hold on to it. And two plays later, you get Goff hitting Amon Ra St. Brown, best name in the NFL, for the game-winning touchdown. And that touchdown comes about after a timeout from the Vikings. And this is a really interesting thing because Mike Zimmer, famously aggressive coach, brilliant defensive mind, he calls a timeout and then he puts his defense all back and he's playing uh, cover or he's playing quarters coverage. He's got four guys deep and three guys or four guys underneath as well because they only rush three. So they're giving Goff all the time he wants and they're giving the they're showing the def- or the offense what coverage they're going to play. So the offense is like, okay, we know what you're going to do. We know where the soft spot is. We're just going to have our slot receiver run right up the middle, Khalif Raymond. He's going to block the uh, defender on the underneath, the widest defender underneath on that side. So Amon Rassan Brown is going to run straight up behind that and just cut in, and he's going to be wide open, and Goff has that window to throw into. And it's a very simple thing, a very easy thing to do, but it's a very, like, it, it, it was given to them essentially by the defense, and you have to give Goff huge credit for making the throw, because it's a timing throw, it has to come out at the right time. Amon and Brown has to hit the exact depth and catch the ball at the, at the point, because the defender's going to arrive as soon as he catches it. So overall, it's a really good play, but you're also kind of going, Vikings, what are you doing? You had this game in hand, you had this game controlled, and you just gave it away to a team that hasn't beaten anyone this year. It was great, great drama, and it's great. It, it kind of encapsulates the, what the NFL is. You've got one team that you don't believe in. You've got one team that's been an absolute disaster all year, and they're producing a great game. It's magic. Yeah, I feel like the Vikings are still paying reparations for the Minneapolis miracle because that was so undeserved. <laughs> and now, like you know, this season has been such a shambles because this stat that's been doing the rounds that most of their losses if not all of them have been one score and you know they could easily have a much better record than they do but at a certain point you know it has to fall on coaching and you know we talk about Zimmer there and the suggestion is that there is a bit of pressure coming on him now to save his job so where the Vikings go from here remains to be seen and the Kirk Cousins project while he you know can produce some good performances and put up good stat lines you know the whether he's the guy that can actually navigate them through or to a playoff run, again, it's um, there's a lot of uncertainty around that because the talent... Bring back Case Keenum, that's what you're saying. The talent he has at his disposal, granted, you know, just players have been in and out as we touched on at the top, but like you can't ask for a better running back, wide receiving combination than, than he's got there. And if he can just manage the game to any sort of satisfactory level, you'd, you'd expect... Like, I don't know what your read on Kirk Cousins is. We don't have to make it a Kirk Cousins conversation, but the likes of Shanahan absolutely love him and would probably have him in San Francisco in a heartbeat. But like, would you share my pessimism around his prospects in Minnesota? Oh, he's a god-awful quarterback. He's been a god-awful quarterback for 10 years. And the reason he's a god-awful quarterback and stayed around that long, he'll always make the easy decision. He'll always make the safe decision. Not necessarily the safe decision. He'll always make the decision that can let him build up stats but not win games. He's the quintessential quarterback who will take the check down before even looking at the better option downfield. And it's fine, you get to the end of the year and you're like, oh, I have 25 touchdowns this year and I have only 13 interceptions. But 20 times I've turned around and made the wrong decision and cost myself, cost my team a chance to win a game. And it, it, it's a very smart way of prolonging a career and having a, a long career in the NFL as a quarterback, which is a great thing because you'll make $20 million a year or whatever it is. But you're never going to win anything. You're never going to go anywhere. And you can immediately kind of write off any team that has a, a, someone like Kirk Cousins. The 49ers that went to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago with Jimmy Garoppolo, exact same thing. They nearly got away with it because that team was so good. And they didn't actually need Garoppolo to make any plays in the playoffs until the Super Bowl. And when they needed to, him to do it in the Super Bowl, possibly throw three interceptions in that game, to at least two. And he was a disaster and a big reason they lost. So 
the, there's a bunch of quarterbacks like that in the league who are always going to be keeping their team between five and ten wins in a given year, but they'll never actually go on and kick on to do anything worthwhile. We should move on to number five and the other televised game this weekend. That is Washington versus the Dallas Cowboys. And Bill Simmons has this thing around Patrick Ewing when he left uh, the New York Knicks in the 90s through injury and the rest of the team improved their stats by a certain amount to a point where they were actually producing better results than when they had their best player. And you look at the Redskins, not to put Fitzpatrick in this bracket, but rather Chase Young, who's obviously out now. And the, like Washington have improved exponentially since then for whatever reason. So these are the, this is another team that might sneak into the playoffs. Like As things stand, they're going to get in there. And while Dallas Cowboys were playing lights out a few weeks ago, aren't necessarily doing so right now. So this is probably a more interesting game than it would have been a month ago. Yeah, the football team is what we're supposed to call them now, remember? They're not allowed to call them the, the old name anymore. WFT. Um, the, <laughs> the Taylor Heineke is a, a really fascinating backup. Yeah, but he's, I say fascinating. Fascinating is way too strong of a word. But he's a, a good backup because normally when an NFL team loses their starter, you're like, okay, I can turn this game off with no interest in this. But not only does he keep them contending, he does so in an exciting manner. Like He's a pretty athletic quarterback. He's a pretty aggressive-minded quarterback. He'll fling the ball downfield. Like he had a great touchdown to Logan Thomas last week in the, in the end zone. He connects with Terry McLaurin all the time. And Antonio Gibson has really stood out lately. He looks fantastic as a converted wide receiver to running back. He's carrying the load now, and he's, when he stays healthy, he's really, really good. So there's a, enough talent on offense there. And as you mentioned, defensively, they've lost Chase Young, but it's, they're still working out. And you have to kind of look at it this way as well. Ryan Kerrigan left in the offseason. And Kerrigan was a big part of the defense without be playing a lot of snaps because of that leadership aspect and because of he could play situationally. But without him, he would have been the natural replacement for uh, for Chase Young. But now they have Montez Sweat there, they have Jonathan Allen there, they have Deron Payne. These are all high-pick uh, uh, frontline players who can win one-on-one -on -one and who can dominate against the run or get pressure on the, on the quarterback in the passing game. So... There's a level of ability on that defense surpassed Chase Young. You don't want to lose a guy like Chase Young, but he's without him, they'll still be effective just because of how uh, much talent they have. And the secondary there is just about good. It's similar to the Buccaneers I was mentioning earlier. The secondary there is just about good enough to uh, to to, uh, to hang with the, the pass rush that, that protects them. That's going to be the big matchup, I think. How much is Amari Cooper, if he's fully healthy to play? Is C.D. Lamb? Is Cedric Wilson? Is Michael Gallup? Noah Brown? How much are those wide receivers going to have an impact on the offense for the Cowboys. And if Dak gets them the ball, like we know Dak is good enough to cut apart any secondary. So it's a matter of those wide receivers doing enough against the uh, cornerbacks while the pass rush, uh, or while the offensive line holds off the pass rush just enough to get the ball out. I'm not sure if it's by design or, or what, but you look at the closing run of games in all the divisions and there's a lot of divisional matchups. I know typically the last game of the season would have that riding on it, but we talk about Washington Cowboys here and then the Cowboys play the Giants next week, Washington again the following week, they play the Cardinals then, who we'll get to next, and then finish with the Eagles. So the NFL, by design or not, have set up these divisions whereby there's going to be an awful lot on the line as we hit the final stretch. Did you ever wonder why there's such a thing as a two-minute warning? Like, there's absolutely no reason to stop the clock with two minutes left in the fourth quarter. I presume the only reason entirely TV-related, I presume. Yeah, 100%. It's 100% it's, it's just for create drama. 
And like this is where the NFL works. Like whenever they talk about rule changes or scheduling or stuff like that, it won't be to get the best football or have the fairest balance. It'll be how can we maximize drama and create the most. Uh, it's the same thing in the NBA actually. The NBA is doing this now as well, where like they've always stopped the clock in the final two minutes. But it's it's something that like it's artificial. But like we talked about earlier with the Lions game and the Vikings game, it works. Like it creates drama, it creates excitement, it creates big moments. So. They should keep doing it, and they will keep doing it. And I actually, I really like the scheduling in the sense that you have that final run-in against teams in your division and in your conference. But I hate when teams play each other like twice within three weeks. Mm. Like the Patriots and the Bills are playing each other twice in the next three weeks. The Cowboys and Washington are playing each other twice in the next three weeks. The reason I don't like that is if you have, let's say, Dak is out for a month, and you play Washington twice, and then you play the Giants in the other three months of the season twice, so the Giants get to play the Cowboys without Dak twice, whereas Washington get to play them with Dak or whatever way I did that. You get the idea. Yeah. Short-term injuries have a much larger impact on the shape of the, the standings at the end of the season than when you put those two games together because they're so important for tiebreakers and such like stuff like that too, you know? No, I totally agree. And it, it does seem to be across the board because we talked about the Browns and the Ravens playing this weekend only played two weeks ago. So similar thing where... I know the Browns have other deficits, but Mayfield's like injured at the moment, and you know for these key games is basically a non-factor for the Ravens. So if they are going to bounce back, that is one element of it. A team that doesn't get enough love, and it's our last item in the pick six this weekend, are the Cardinals, where you know you nearly forget about Tiff Kingsbury in in the conversation of Coach of the Year, and you forget about Kyler Murray for MVP because he's missed a month of time at this point. But once everybody's healthy here and and they're clicking. Like the, the type of scores they're putting up, you'll have no fear of them having a shootout in the playoffs. And they've got enough about them on the defensive side of things as well to, to win close games. So as much as people want to talk about a, a Bucks-Patriots Super Bowl or, or what Green Bay are doing in the NFC, like we can't sleep on the Cardinals either. They're, they've been hugely impressive this season. As soon as J.J. Watt got injured, everyone started ignoring the Cardinals again. No one's ever really cared about the Cardinals outside of Larry Fitzgerald and Kurt Warner, and I think that plays a big role in it. They're a small market team. They're a West Coast team as well, which plays a big big factor in how much anyone talks about these teams. Um, I, I think there's no real concerns about them, and like, they're a little bit boring at this stage because Kyler Murray was out for a month and Colt McCoy played, and they did enough to get by. They stayed on track for the year. What did they go? Two and one, three and one, whatever it was. And when Murray came back, Straight away, he looked fine, and DeAndre Hopkins looked fine, and AJ Green is fine, and like they, all these guys were out missing. Chase Edmonds is, is still out at the moment, I believe, but James Conner is having a huge season, so it doesn't really matter to them that Edmonds is missing. And then you add Zach Ertz, who was like the perfect mid-season addition for this team, because that's all they needed, a tight end that they could rely on. And he's actually played really well for them, despite coming in and having to learn to play, but can pick everything up and play with two different quarterbacks over the space of a month. So everything for the Cardinals is good. Everything for the Cardinals is promising. They beat the Bears last week in a game where the Bears, I, it's astonishing how that team is even an NFL team at this <laughs> stage because they just beat themselves all the time. Like the, the Cardinals were in first gear, second gear for the whole game, and they still comfortably blew them out. And Andy Dalton obviously is a mess making mistakes left and right, and Matt Nagy doesn't have to coach football at all, so he'll be gone at the end of the year. But it was nice for the Cardinals to just ease back in with their quarterback coming back, with their star wide receiver coming back. And you mentioned defensively, Buddha Baker is one of the most exciting defensive players in the league. Watt is gone, but they have enough depth in the interior there to hold up. Chandler Jones is healthy. He's, still, he's playing well. It, it's a, it's a, actually, Zayvon Collins as well is getting some time off the bench with uh, 
I can't remember the, the linebacker who used to play for the Eagles is, is escaping my mind at the moment, but he's there playing well, quite, quite well as it too. So there's there's a lot of reasons to be excited about the Cardinals. The only real reason we're not paying attention to them is because of who they are and where they play and the history you're lacking. Like Kyler is a really interesting, fascinating quarterback, but he's also not really a soundbite guy. So you're never going to like have a clip from them blowing a team out and him coming out and saying, oh, they're trash, we own them. Or you're never going to have him shouting at the at the crowd the way Aaron Rodgers does. So you need that little bit more of identity or personality for us to talk about them. But maybe that's the perfect thing for them. They'll go under the radar and they'll go into the NFC playoff picture and play really good about it. Like right now, if, if they... If we get to the NFC Championship game based on what we've seen so far, and it's Buccaneers Cardinals, who do you have more confidence in? And take in mind the Cardinals, I think, would be the home team at this point. Yeah, that's it. And the the Cardinals are have the bye right at the moment, and you know, in possession of that, so they can um, if they can keep their house in order from now until the end, it will be going through their their patch. And while a lot is made of the Green Bay element and not wanting to play there, like if the road goes through Green Bay, as we saw last year, you know, it's a tough place to go at the best of times, and they didn't even have the home field advantage of the full support behind them. So I think people, everyone else in the NFC, will be kind of hoping maybe. The the Cardinals get that number one seed rather than the Packers but we move on to our game of the week and every week listeners to the snap are in with a chance of winning some co-branded beanies and merch to enter simply select the winner in our game of the week normally I pick a nice close game Keen. I look at the, the odds and I think geez what's a what's a tough one to call here but I think we can both agree who's going to win the game it's just can you beat the Vegas odds makers and their spread so this time it's the Chicago Bears at Green Bay with the hometown Packers favoured by 11 and a half points so 11 and a half is what we're looking at Keen. are you expecting the Packers to, to blow that away no question I mean you heard what I just said about the Bears <laughs> I think I can actually just pick the Bears now at this point even with 11.5 points like if the Packers don't win this game by at least 14, you've, you've got to ask questions because the Bears are a mess and they're not going anywhere. They're not getting better. They're not getting healthier even either. So maybe Justin Fields, if he comes back and offers a spark, but I just can't see it. The Packers have far too much talent and far too much stability to uh, kind of, well, obviously they're not going to lose to the Bears, but to even have, to have this be a competitive game, I'd be very surprised. And are we allowed to say Aaron Rodgers should win MVP or is he not allowed to win it because of what's gone on this season? I mean, he's got to be the MVP right now, isn't he? Like, maybe Kyler, but Kyler missed some time. Brady, I guess, is always there, but Buccaneers have had some bad losses. Um, I'm trying to think, like, Jonathan Taylor in Indianapolis, you could argue for, but running backs don't get them. Like, it's quarter, it's a quarterback award, so... Uh, Mac Jones throwing three passes a game? There you go. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm reaching at this stage. So, I think Rodgers is, like, safely the best option. But the way it works, media has quite a lot of votes, and as far as I know, so I don't know if they'll vote for him. I wonder if Joe Rogan has a vote, in which case uh, he might be in with a shout. But I think uh, history might precede Aaron Rodgers on this one because, as you said, he's, I think he's put up the best numbers this year, and I suppose he won it last year, so they might be inclined to give it to someone else. If ever Jonathan Taylor or running back has a chance, this could be the year. So just on that game again, it's Chicago Bears at Green Bay, Packers favoured by 11.5 points. Just send us your pick at off the ball using the hashtag OTBSnap, so that's against the spread as well. So thanks a million for listening this week. We'll be back next Thursday.